Chapter 11 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 5, Urbane Grandier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 5, Urbane Grandier, by Alexander Dumas. Chapter 11. The mode of torture employed at Luden was a variety of the boot, and one of the most painful of all. Each of the victim's legs below the knee was placed between two boards. The two pairs were then laid one above the other and bound together firmly at the ends. Wedges were then driven in with a mallet between the two metal boards. Four such wedges constituted ordinary, and eight extraordinary torture and this latter was seldom inflicted, except on those condemned to death, as almost no one ever survived it, the sufferer's legs being crushed to a pulp before he left the torturer's bands. In this case, Monsieur de la Bardemont, on his own initiative, for it had never been done before, added two wedges to those of the extraordinary torture, so that instead of eight, ten were to be driven in nor was this all. The commissioner royal and the two Franciscans undertook to inflict the torture themselves. Labardamont ordered Grandier to be bound in the usual manner, and then saw his legs placed between the boards. He then dismissed the executioner and his assistants, and directed the keeper of the instruments to bring the wedges, which he complained of as being too small. Unluckily, there were no larger ones in stock, and in spite of threats, the keeper persisted in saying he did not know where to procure others. Monsieur de la Bardemont then asked how long it would take to make some, and was told two hours. Finding that too long to wait, he was obliged to put up with those he had. Thereupon the torture began. Paralactants, having exercised the instruments, drove in the first wedge, but could not draw a murmur from Grandier, who was reciting a prayer in a low voice. A second was driven home, and this time the victim, despite his resolution, could not avoid interrupting his devotions by two groans, at each of which Pere Latens struck harder, crying, Dicas, Dicas, confess, confess, a word which he repeated so often and so furiously, till all was over, that he was ever after popularly called Paradicus. When the second wedge was in, de la Bardemont showed Grandier his manuscript against the celibacy of the priests, and asked if he acknowledged it to be in his own handwriting. Grandier answered in the affirmative. Asked what motive he had in writing it, he said it was an attempt to restore a peace of mind to a poor girl whom he had loved, as was proved by the two lines written at the end. Si ton gentle esprit prend bien cette science, tu maîtres en repos ta bonne conscience. If thy sensitive mind imbibe this teaching, it will give ease to thy tender conscience. Upon this, Monsieur de Labardemont demanded the girl's name, but Grandier assured him it should never pass his lips, none knowing it but himself and God. Thereupon Monsieur de la Bardemont ordered Paralactants 
to insert the third wedge. While it was being driven in by the monk's lusty arm, each blow being accompanied by the word Dicas, Grandier exclaimed, My God, they are killing me, and yet I am neither a sorcerer nor sacrilegious. At the fourth wedge, Grandier fainted, muttering, Oh, Paralactance, is this charity? Although his victim was unconscious, Paralactance continued to strike, so that, having lost consciousness through pain, pain soon brought him back to life. De la Bardemont took advantage of this revival to take his turn at demanding a confession of his crimes, but Grandier said, I have committed no crimes, sir, only errors. Being a man, I have often gone astray, but I have confessed and done penance, and believe that my prayers for pardon have been heard. But if not, I trust that God will grant me pardon now for the sake of my sufferings. At the fifth wedge, Grandier fainted once more, but they restored him to consciousness by dashing cold water in his face, whereupon he moaned, turning to Monsieur de Labardemont, In pity, sir, put me to death at once. I am only a man, and I cannot answer for myself that if you continue to torture me, so I shall not give way to despair. Then sign this, and the torture shall cease, answered the commissioner royal, offering him a paper. My father, said Urbain, turning towards the Franciscan, can you assure me on your conscience that it is permissible for a man, in order to escape suffering, to confess a crime he has never committed? No, replied the monk, for if he die with a lie on his lips, he dies in mortal sin. Go on then, said Grandier, for having suffered so much in my body, I desire to save my soul. As Paralactance drove in the sixth wedge, Grandier fainted anew. When he had been revived, Labardemont called upon him to confess that a certain Elizabeth Blanchard had been his mistress, as well as the girl for whom he had written the treatise against celibacy. But Grandier replied that not only had no improper relations ever existed between them, but that the day he had been confronted with her at his trial was the first time he had ever seen her. At the seventh wedge, Grandier's legs burst open, and the blood spurted into Perry Lactance's face, but he wiped it away with the sleeve of his gown. Oh, Lord, my God, have mercy on me. I die, cried Grandier, and fainted for the fourth time. Para Lactance seized the opportunity to take a short rest and sat down. When Grandier had once more come to himself, he began slowly to utter a prayer. So beautiful and so moving that the provost lieutenant wrote it down. But de la Bardemont, noticing this, forbade him ever to show it to anyone. At the eighth wedge the bones gave way, and the marrow oozed out of the wounds, and it became useless to drive in any more wedges, the legs being now as flat as the boards that compressed them. And, moreover, paralactance was quite worn out. Grandier was unbound and laid upon the flagged floor, and while his eyes shone with fever and agony, he prayed again a second prayer, a veritable martyr's prayer, overflowing with faith and enthusiasm. But as he ended, his strength failed, and he again became unconscious. 
the provost-lieutenant forced a little wine between his lips, which brought him to. Then he made an act of contrition, renounced Satan and all his works once again, and commended his soul to God. Four men entered, his legs were freed from the boards, and the crushed parts were found to be a mere inert mass, only attached to the knees by the sinews. He was then carried to the council chamber and laid on a little straw before the fire. In a corner of the fireplace, an Augustinian monk was seated. Urbane asked leave to confess to him, which de la Bardemont refused, holding out the paper he desired to have signed once more, at which Grandier said, If I would not sign to spare myself before, am I likely to give way now that only death remains? True, replied la Bardemont, but the mode of your death is in our hands. It rests with us to make it slow or quick, painless or agonizing. So take this paper and sign. Grandier pushed the paper gently away, shaking his head in sign of refusal, whereupon de la Bardemont left the room in a fury and ordered Perez Tranquil and Claude to be admitted, they being the confessors he had chosen for Urbain. When they came near to fulfill their office, Urbain recognized in them two of his torturers, so he said that, as it was only four days since he had confessed to Pere Grillot, and he did not believe he had committed any mortal sin since then, he would not trouble them, upon which they cried out at him as a heretic and infidel, but without any effect. At four o'clock the executioner's assistants came to fetch him. He was placed lying on a bier and carried out in that position. On the way he met the criminal lieutenant of Orleans, who once more exhorted him to confess his crimes openly. But Grandier replied, Alas, sir, I have avowed them all. I have kept nothing back. Do you desire me to have masses said for you? continued the lieutenant. I not only desire it, but I beg for it as a great favor, said Urbain. A lighted torch was then placed in his hand. As the procession started, he pressed the torch to his lips. He looked on all whom he met with modest confidence, and begged those whom he knew to intercede with God for him. On the threshold of the door his sentence was read to him, and he was then placed in a small cart and driven to the church of St. Pierre in the marketplace. There he was awaited by Monsieur de la Bardemont, who ordered him to alight. As he could not stand on his mangled limbs, he was pushed out, and fell first on his knees and then on his face. In this position he remained patiently waiting to be lifted. He was carried to the top of the steps and laid down, while his sentence was read to him once more, and, just as it was finished, his confessor, who had not been allowed to see him for four days, forced away through the crowd and threw himself into Grandier's arms. At first tears choked Pere Grillo's voice, but at last he said, Remember, sir, that our Saviour Jesus Christ ascended to his Father through the agony of the cross. You are a wise man. Do not give way now and lose everything. I bring you your mother's blessing. She and I never cease to pray that God may have mercy on you and receive you into paradise. These words seemed to inspire Grandier with new strength. He lifted his head, which pain had bowed, and, raising his eyes to heaven, murmured a short prayer. 
Then, turning towards the worthy friar, he said, Be a son to my mother. Pray to God for me constantly. Ask all our good friars to pray for my soul. My one consolation is that I die innocent. I trust that God in his mercy may receive me into paradise. Is there nothing else I can do for you? asked Pere Grillo. Alas, my father, replied Grandier, I am condemned to die a most cruel death, asked the executioner if there is no way of shortening what I must undergo. I go at once, said the friar, and giving him absolution in articulo mortis, he went down the steps, and while Grandier was making his confession aloud, the good monk drew the executioner aside and asked if there were no possibility of alleviating the death agony by means of a shirt dipped in brimstone. The executioner answered that as the sentence expressly stated that Grandier was to be burned alive, he could not employ an expedient so sure to be discovered as that, but that if the friar would give him thirty crowns, he would undertake to strangle Grandier while he was kindling the pile. Peregrillo gave him the money, and the executioner provided himself with a rope. The Franciscan then placed himself where he could speak to his penitent as he passed, and as he embraced him for the last time, whispered to him what he had arranged with the executioner, whereupon Grandier turned towards the latter and said in a tone of deep gratitude, "'Thanks, my brother.' At that moment the archers, having driven away Peregrillo by order of Monsieur de la Bardemont, by beating him with their halberts, the procession resumed its march, to go through the same ceremony at the Ursuline church, and from there to proceed to the square of San Croix. On the way Urbain met and recognized Moussant, who was accompanied by his wife, and turning towards him said, I die your debtor, and if I ever said a word that could offend you, I ask you to forgive me. When the place of execution was reached, the provost-lieutenant approached Grandier and asked his forgiveness. "'You have not offended me,' was the reply. "'You have only done what your duty obliged you to do.' The executioner then came forward and removed the backboard of the cart, and ordered his assistants to carry Grandier to where the pile was prepared. As he was unable to stand, he was attached to the stake by an iron hoop passed round his body. At that moment a flock of pigeons seemed to fall from the sky, and, fearless of the crowd, which was so great that the archers could not succeed even by blows of their weapons in clearing away for the magistrates, began to fly around Grandier, while one, as white as the driven snow, alighted on the summit of the stake just above his head. Those who believed in possession exclaimed that they were only a band of devils come to seek their master, but there were many who muttered that devils were not wont to assume such a form, and who persisted in believing that the doves had come in default of men to bear witness to Grandier's innocence. In trying next day to combat this impression, a monk asserted that he had seen a huge fly buzzing round Grandier's head, and as Beelzebub meant in Hebrew, as he said, the god of flies, it was quite evident that it was the demon himself who, taking upon him the form of one of his subjects, had come to carry off the magician's soul. When everything was prepared, 
the executioner passed the rope by which he meant to strangle him round Grandier's neck. Then the priests exercised the earth, air, and wood, and again demanded of their victim if he would not publicly confess his crimes. Urbain replied that he had nothing to say, but that he hoped through the martyr's death he was about to die, to be that day with Christ in paradise. The clerk then read his sentence to him, for the fourth time, and asked if he persisted in what he said under torture. Most certainly I do, said Urbain, for it was the exact truth. Upon this the clerk withdrew, first informing Grandier that if he had anything to say to the people, he was at liberty to speak. But this was just what the exorcists did not want. They knew Grandier's eloquence and courage, and a firm, unshaken denial at the moment of death would be most prejudicial to their interests. As soon, therefore, as Grandier opened his lips to speak, they dashed such a quantity of holy water in his face that it took away his breath. It was but for a moment, however, and he recovered himself, and again endeavored to speak. A monk stooped down and stifled the words by kissing him on the lips. Grandier, guessing his intention, said loud enough for those next to the pile to hear, that was the kiss of Judas. At these words the monks became so enraged that one of them struck Grandier three times in the face with a crucifix, while he appeared to be giving it him to kiss. But by the blood that flowed from his nose and lips at the third blow, those standing near perceived the truth. All Grandier could do was to call out that he asked for a Salve Regina and an Ave Maria, which many began at once to repeat, whilst he, with clasped hands and eyes raised to heaven, commended himself to God and the Virgin. The exorcist then made one more effort to get him to confess publicly, but he exclaimed, My fathers, I have said all I had to say. I hope in God and his mercy. At this refusal, the anger of the exorcist surpassed all bounds, and paralactants, taking a twist of straw, dipped it in a bucket of pitch which was standing beside the pile, and, lighting it at a torch, thrust it into his face, crying, Miserable wretch, will nothing force you to confess your crimes and renounce the devil? I do not belong to the devil, said Grandier, pushing away the straw with his hands. I have renounced the devil. I now renounce him and all his works again, and I pray that God may have mercy on me. At this, without waiting for the signal from the provost lieutenant, Paralactaints poured the bucket of pitch on one corner of the pile of wood and set fire to it, upon which Grandier called the executioner to his aid, who, hastening up, tried in vain to strangle him, while the flames spread apace. Alas, my brother, said the sufferer, is this the way you keep your promise? It's not my fault, answered the executioner. The monks have knotted the cord so that the noose cannot slip. Oh, Father Lactance, Father Lactance, have you no charity? cried Grandier. The executioner by this time was forced by the increasing heat to jump down from the pile, being indeed almost overcome. And seeing this, Grandier stretched forth a hand into the flames and said, Paralactance, God in heaven will judge between thee and me. I summon thee to appear before him in thirty days. Grandier was then seen to make attempts to strangle himself, 
but either because it was impossible or because he felt it would be wrong to end his life by his own hands he desisted and clasping his hands prayed aloud dios meus ad te vigilo miserere me a capuchin fearing that he would have time to say more approached the pile from the side which had not yet caught fire and dashed the remainder of the holy water in his face this caused such smoke that grandier was hidden for a moment from the eyes of the spectators when it cleared away it was seen that his clothes were now alight his voice could still be heard from the midst of the flames raised in prayer then three times each time in a weaker voice he pronounced the name of jesus and giving one cry his head fell forward on his breast at that moment the pigeons which had till then never ceased to circle round the stake flew away and were lost in the clouds urbain grandier had given up the ghost End of chapter eleven